with the start of Advent, it should be no surprise that we're starting a new sermon series. Yay. It's called Advent. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Pretty deep. Watching and waiting because this is a season of preparation. Uh, just as the first Christmas when they were watching and waiting for a Messiah, we also are doing the same. Now, we have the benefit of historical experience because it's happened once. But guess what? It's going to happen again. And we don't know when that is. So every Advent is a reminder to prepare our hearts for the second coming of our King. And that's what we'll be doing. Here's how we're going to do it. Uh, today's uh, sermon is called Wait For It. The next one is called Simeon Sees. I see it's Simon Says, but Simeon Sees. It'll make sense then. All right. Uh, it's Never Too Late. Blessed. That's a question mark. And on Christmas Eve, you've made a mistake. And that's us talking to God. If you want to hear more about that, you got to come what time on Christmas Eve? And where? And who are you going to bring? <laughs> Sweet. Man, you guys are good. I'll tell you what. All right, so wait for it. How many people are fans of waiting? <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Yeah, waiting is hard. Waiting is equated to passivity. And in our culture, especially North American culture, that is not a good thing. You want to be out there. You want to be aggressive. You want to be a go-getter. Nobody ever said, man, is he ever the best waiter ever? What? No, that's not in our vocabulary unless you're talking about someone who gives you service at the food table, right? We, we don't like to wait. But I'm telling you this, this morning, there are, are some... Wonderful things to be gathered by waiting, especially as a Jesus follower. And I want to start, start by telling you a story. A couple of decades ago, when we would go to visit uh, Rana's mom, uh, she lived in Hamilton, Illinois, which, uh, if you're not familiar, it's a town of about this big. And it's right on the Mississippi River. And my favorite part was on the drive, you had to go across from Iowa to Illinois, across a bridge, across the Mississippi River. And what was cool about that, it's always cool to see a big river, right? But here's what was cool about that, because there were some huge trees, and every once in a while, you would catch sight of a bald eagle. How many people have ever seen a bald eagle for real, in, up close and in person? Yeah. Isn't it impressive? I mean, I'd seen them on videos and pictures and things before, but when you get a little bit closer, those things are huge. I mean, I was like, hey, don't, kids, don't get out of the car, right? <laughs> They'd probably carry them off. They are amazing, and as I watched them soar, uh, literally soar and, and just do all these aerobatics and, and graceful flight, and it just looked like they were effortless. And I, I, I began to think, wow, that is, they are so majestic. They're so powerful and yet so effortless. How do they do that? And then my mind immediately went to, well, God's creation is so amazing. Look at this, this power and this majesty, and, and it's effortless. And that's kind of how I want to be as a Jesus follower. I'm just not sure how to do that. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at uh, some lessons from an eagle uh, uh, and waiting to make us more powerful. Now, I bet you'd never put those two together, waiting and power, or waiting and strength. But we're going to put them together this morning, because that's the way it should be. Now, those effortless eagles make it look so easy. I want to take this into our realm now. I want to talk about human beings. Have you ever met an effortless human being that's a Jesus follower? They, they, they might look like, uh, well, that, that's not them. That's, that's an eagle. 
parents. <laughs> they might look like this. This is, a, oh, everything just works out for them. They have the happy family. They're, everything is just perfect. They follow God. They serve everywhere. They never say a bad word. They never speed. I don't think that's necessarily in the Bible, but you go with me. So the, everything just is perfect, and it's effortless, and I hate them. Do you? Come on, be honest. <laughs> We're all about authenticity. This is a wonderful picture, and this is what everybody desires, but there's this little thing called, I don't know, reality that sets in. And this is more like what Thanksgiving looks like, right? <laughs> everybody at everybody's throat. So this, this reality is what drains us. This is, this is the difference between what we wish was and what is. And sometimes that difference just sucks the life out of you, doesn't it? And, and the same thing happens with our faith. What we think should be as a Jesus follower doesn't match what really is, because what really is feels more like a struggle. It looks more like this. Uh, this was a picture of the last word service lead team meeting. I, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, our lead team is wonderful. <laughs> but it could be. No. So sometimes that effort and that struggle just wear us down, and we begin to wonder, is this worth it? Is this following Jesus worth it? I thought this was going to be so different. I'm here to tell you that it is worth it. And, and maybe we just a few small tweaks will make all the difference in the world. So this reality is real, no doubt about it. But this reality is nothing new because people have been struggling to follow God throughout history. In fact, today's passage comes from the prophet Isaiah. And I want to give you a little bit of a, a setting towards this before we read it. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. It'll be a familiar verse when we get there, but let me tell you the setting of this. The prophet Isaiah is talking to the southern kingdom, which has been exiled. Now, if you're not familiar with how this goes, in this case, the Babylonians have run through and decimated the southern kingdom, the last remaining kingdom. The high and mighties, uh, the, the important people in, in Judea, were carted off to Babylon to be re-educated. It was oppressive. The Babylonians were not nice people. Uh, they would make the, the current Russian-Ukraine war look like the Cub Scouts were coming to town. I mean, these people were awful, and they did terrible things. And so they are under captivity of the Babylonians, and Isaiah says, hey, you know how it's bad? It's about to get worse because the Persians are about to overthrow the Babylonians. So you're in a period of double exile where everything that you've known is gone. You have no say in what you do. You're under the rule of people who are not nice and some people that you don't know that are coming that are about to make it like a double exile because they're going to conquer the ones who are ruling you now, and you don't know what's coming down the pike. Cyrus and the Persians are about to roll through town. There's going to be a new sheriff. That doesn't sound like a period of great hope and expectation, does it? I mean, if you look at our country today and you talk, oh, there's polarization, there's hatred, there's all these things, man, that pales in comparison to what we got going on here today. And yet, Isaiah says these words out of chapter 40, verse 31. I'm getting a tone from the computer. I've never gotten that before. Did somebody lock on me with a missile? No, okay, I'm good. I have to, I have to keep moving. <laughs> Jeff, player, Jeff, player. No. All right, so here's, uh, here is what Isaiah says to the southern kingdom who's in double exile, about to be exiled again. He said, even youths will grow tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. But 
Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not be faint. These are the words of God for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Isaiah is either really in touch with God or really a lunatic. There, there's no middle ground here. He's, he knows what's coming. He knows they're already in exile. He knows they're about to be run over again. And he say, hey, good news. You're going to renew your strength. If you wait on the Lord, just wait for it. I can see Isaiah saying that. That's the Bill version. Wait for it. Nobody wants to wait for it. Waiting is not, like I said, the, the first choice when you're living under oppression. Wouldn't be my first choice either, to be perfectly honest with you. But I want you to look at a couple of things here. <clears throat> As we look at the text, even youth grow tired and weary. How many people have seen the boundless energy that are children? You know what I mean? They have two speeds, all go or all stop. There is no in-between. You can sit down. I, I uh, sometimes help out, uh, and I teach jujitsu classes uh, when, when they're away. And these kids will come in, and they will run like mad people. Uh, and, and it's time to start, and you do a full hour of jujitsu, which, if you don't know what that is, it's exhausting. I mean, it, you, adults will lay there in a puddle of sweat afterwards and not move for like 10 minutes just to regather strength to get home, right? These kids will do an hour of this, and you're like, oh, man, they're going to sleep good tonight. And then you shake hands, and the final dismissal is, and guess what? <sighs> it's, it's mayhem. Like, where does this energy come from? If I could bottle that, I would be a millionaire, and I would have a real word surf jet. <laughs> I don't know where that energy comes from, but this is, what, this is why this is so important. Even those kids who have boundless energy will grow tired and weary. Now, I know Isaiah is trying to give hope, but he's setting it as it is. This is for real. Even the best of human energy will fail. That's his message if you, if you tear back the layers. Even the best of what we have, the most energetic, the most youthful, the most vibrant, will fail. Well, that's not a very hopeful message, Bill. Well, not if you stop there, but let's not stop there, all right? Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. There is a boundless source of energy. And it is outside of us. And this is good news. Because it doesn't depend on Bill. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on the one who has boundless energy. How do I know this? As I always say, if you want to know more, read the circle around the Bible verse, right? Read a little bit before, a little bit after, a little bit more before, a little bit after, a little more before. Look at what's right before that. And starting in verse, um, let's start in verse 27. It says, why do you complain, Jacob? <laughs> why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Man, this is good news. This is great news. He gives power. He increases the strength. And how does he do this? Well, I'll, I'll tell you how he does it in Christians in a minute, but we got to get through eagles to get there. Here's the magic about an eagle as I see it. Eagles are strong. They're majestic. They're powerful. 
but most of the strength doesn't come from them. Have you thought about this before? I mean, imagine an eagle in flight, and, and you're swooping down. Oh, that's fierce. Now, imagine that same eagle walking on the ground. Meh. It, it's just not inspiring, right? I don't know how eagles walk, but, you know, this, it's certainly less glamorous than flight. You know, if an eagle came up and attacked me on the ground, I'd be like, eh, you know, no big deal. If I'm in the air, now this is a big deal. So here's the point that I'm making. When that eagle is in the air, the strength is the eagle using the air. Does that make sense? It is absolutely fascinating to think about because this eagle can stay aloft for hours, not even flapping a wing. Is that not amazing? This eagle can travel up to 200 miles an hour by changing the shape of the wing as it goes through the air. This eagle can ride air currents and travel miles on almost no effort. See, the eagle's strength isn't just the eagle. It's how the eagle works with the air. Now, if you were tuned in to us a few weeks ago, we talked about this word spirit, uh, pneuma, or in, in the Hebrew, ruach. It means breath, but it also means wind. And it's the same word that is used to describe the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Remember what that story was like when the disciples were gathered and this mighty rush of what came through? Mighty rush of wind, the Spirit. So it seems to me that there's some way that we can work with the Spirit that will make us far more powerful than we are by ourselves. How do we do that? Well, let's get some lessons from an eagle. Here's the first lesson from an eagle. Perspective. Eagles have incredible eyesight. There's a reason we use phrases like eagle eye. Eagles can see prey from miles away. They know if they're in the right spot. Eagles can probably sense, hey, there's air currents right now. This is a good time to fly. Or there is nothing going on. This is a good time to watch the game. I'll just wait and see if y'all are paying attention. <laughs> Eagles watch games? Yeah, Philly does. <laughs> I did that for Jimmy, especially. Right? So, so eagles have incredible eyesight. Now, we can see things too, but here's the advantage that Christians have. We have incredible insight. By the power of the Spirit, God can help us look past the surface. God can help us to see that family that looked perfect but really isn't and is hurting. God can help us to see that family that's struggling. Maybe it's the marriage. Maybe it's parenting. God can help us with that insight to see where the real needs of our community are and make an impact there. But we have to see it through his eyes. So that's the first way that we can start to look through Jesus' eyes and understand where the needs are in our community. The, the Colossians says it this way. Paul says this, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. There's a whole world out there that's going to try to drag our eyes down. Uh, no offense to anybody who's in advertising, but advertising is a, is a great, uh, does a great job of this, right? You've got to have this thing to be happy. You've got to own this. You've got to wear this. You've got to live in this. And those are earthly things. And that is the perspective of the world. But if you want insight, we've got to look above that. And when we do that, we will start to see things. So here's a question I'm going to be asking you, Lord, sir, because it's not up to me. It's up to us. As we approach 2023, we're going to be looking at some visioning. Where do we go forward as a church? And here's my number one question. What needs are you seeing? What needs is the Holy Spirit revealing to you right here in our community? 
so that we get, can begin to position ourselves to best serve this local community and the world beyond. That kind of vision only comes from us yielding to the Holy Spirit. And that's not eyesight. That's insight. So that's the first lesson from an eagle. It's about perspective. The second lesson from an eagle is placement. You will not find eagles where there is no prey and no wind. <laughs> Duh. Because if they're there and there's no prey and there's no wind, they're going to die. They don't stay there. So they place themselves where they can do the mission, which is to fly and get food and feed their young ones. So how does this translate then to Christians? Well, I think sometimes God places us where there is not prey, uh, well, maybe P-R-A-Y, <laughs> where, where we pray, but where there is a mission for us. And what is our mission, Lord, sir? Thank you, sir. That will be an extra donut for Jim. Make disciples. This is what we do. So God puts us in places where we can make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't often sense that or see that. And the reason I say that is, as I talk to many people, not just you, but as I talk to many people and I say, how do you share the good news? And after a hmm and a ha and a well and a uh, I find out we don't really do a good job of sharing the good news. Sometimes it's because we don't know what to say. Sometimes it's because it makes us feel uncomfortable. But people, this is our mission. This is where we've been placed. And we have the best mission in the world, the greatest story ever told, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we have to figure out how to get over that, and we're going to do that in the new year. That's part of the visioning process. But for now, just recognize that we have been placed in this place and while you may look at a perfect family, well, what looks like a perfect family, go, oh, they already have a church home. They don't need anything. You sure? Really? I'm not, look, <laughs> for the record and on camera, I am not looking to poach other churches. But here's the thing that I also observe from where we have been planted. Look at this graph. This is growth in Fort Bend County, and I'm sorry that it's an eye chart. I can't even read it. But. Here we are at uh, 900,000 about now, projected to grow to 1.8 million. This is Fort Bend County. This is probably the fastest growing county in the United States. And God has placed WordServe here to be a light to the world, to make disciples. I don't know exactly when 1.8 happens, but it's coming. So wouldn't it be wise of us to prepare so that when it happens, we're ready to take action on that mission? Why would we wait until all these people are here and go, oh gosh, we should reach out to them. What should we do? No, let's start thinking now. As we prepare, as we wait, there it is, wait for it. As we wait, let's prepare so that when these people come, we are ready for them. We have something to offer them. We have good news of Jesus Christ. We have life transforming good news. Let's prepare now so that when it happens, we can be effective. We can soar and not struggle. That's the second lesson from an eagle uh, placement. Here's the third lesson. It's posture. It's always about posture. The thing that fascinates me, and, and granted, okay, I'm an air guy. I, you know, I'm fascinated by aerodynamics and all that stuff. But that, the, the eagle's wings, as you look at this, it absolutely fascinates me. Did you know that those wingspans can be up to eight feet long? That is amazing. Did you know that those eight-foot wings weigh less than two pounds? Also amazing. 
Did you know that pound for pound, an eagle's wing is stronger than an aircraft, a modern aircraft wing? Is that not fascinating? And here's where I know God's involved. If you look at these, uh, my pointer doesn't work on a TV, but if you look at the leading edge of the wing, you see a lot of little tiny feathers stuck together. And, and the, the bone on the front of the eagle is, is pretty broad, and then it tapers back. That's so that air, air, um, airflow is accelerated over that part of the wing. And for those of you who are aerodynamic fans, what happens to an accelerated airflow? Lower pressure, which causes lift. The wind's doing the work, not the eagle. And that's how it happens, by those tightly packed little feathers on the front. If you look at the back of the wing, you see the broad feathers. There's a very clear demarcation. How many people have flown on an airline by the, by the wing? What happens when they come in to land? The flaps come down, right? Because you've got to slow down. I mean, if you're an eagle and you're aiming for that tree, you probably don't want to hit it at 200 miles an hour. I'm just guessing, you know? It would be like you going to the mall and pulling into a parking spot at 100 miles an hour. Oh, wait, I've seen some of you drive. Maybe that's, maybe that's not a good example. <laughs> but you've got to be able to slow down. You've got to be able to control and, and, and do all these wonderful things to get yourself safe. Those are just like flaps. And I have a feeling that God made it on the eagle before we thought of it. And then the, the wings, winglets on the outside there. How many people have seen uh, some of the more modern airlines that had this little thing sticking out of the wing that looks like this? You know what that's for? Dude, you've been doing some homework. Wingtip vortices. Basically, as the, as the air rolls off, it creates those little swirls, right? Well, that creates drag. That holds the airplane back. So when you do this, it stops them from creating drag. This makes it more efficient. And guess who, start, who thought of it first? God. God's already got this. So these lessons from an eagle are powerful, and that posture that the eagle has is outstretched. Now think about this. As that wind is going over those eagle's wings and producing lift, the frame of the eagle is actually being supported by the wind. It doesn't have to do anything. And as that wind passes over the wing and it produces lift, he just soars around all day with those incredible eagle eyes going, ooh, that's a tasty morsel. That absolutely fascinates me. I can't look at this and not say, what an awesome God we have. Who thinks of all this stuff? Right? And then the second thing I say is, why is it so hard for us? Shouldn't it be easy for us? Because as we operate in the spirit, in the wind, we should be able to take advantage of that wind. We are built, because God built us, to be supported by that wind, to soar like eagles, and yet we walk like turkeys. That was a Thanksgiving joke. <laughs> All right, they don't get any better than that. So what is our posture then? Here's typically our posture. You know, this is the eagle's posture, right? Soaring wings, eight feet long. Here's our posture, though. We tend to be a little more tight-fisted because we're trying to control what we have. We don't want to let go. We, sometimes it might be called greed. Sometimes it might be called survivalism, whatever you want to call it. I'm not the most generous person on earth. I will admit that to you. And sometimes I try to hold on to not just money, Sometimes I try to hold on to control. Any other control freaks in the room? Great. Nice. Let's control freaks anonymous. That'll be another group in the new year. Yeah, sometimes we hold on so tightly. We hold on so tightly because we don't want to lose control. We hold on tightly to our kids. We hold on tightly to our money. We hold on tightly to anything that we can hold on to because it gives us some semblance of power and control. But I'm telling you, that actually makes us weaker. 
Because the more that we draw in, the less wingspan we have to offer the Holy Spirit to work. And I'm talking about our souls right now, not our hands. So our posture tends to be this, but there's another posture that if we're going to be Jesus followers, why don't we adopt the posture of Jesus? Jesus is into wingspan, and it looks like this. Eagle's wings, eight feet long. Jesus' arms, long enough to encompass the world. Jesus served his purpose, used the Spirit, was uplifted by the Spirit in this posture. And it says right here that he says, this is Jesus' quote, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So if I were to ask Jesus right now, Jesus, what posture should I have in my spirit? What would he say? This. The one that helps me deny myself, that look to neighbor with that insight that he's given me. The one that helps me come alongside someone who's hurting. I don't have to say anything, just a ministry of presence. The one that makes me genuinely uh, generous. The one that gives freely. The one that does not just for me, but for all. That's the posture I think Jesus would call us to. And so what my encouragement is in this Advent season as we prepare, word serve, is to prepare to soar. Think about this. Pray for that insight that we talked about. Serve where you're placed. Find a way to give back to what God has given you already. That might be money, that might be time, that might be talent, that might be anything. But I wouldn't hold any of it back because it's all been given to us. And we'll find great ways to use that. And then finally, assume the posture. Whatever we have to do, if you've ever seen the Eagles on their downtime, they don't actually watch games. Sorry to disappoint you, Jimmy. What they do, though, is they'll preen the feathers, that they're removing anything that would cause drag or turbulence in that flow in their lives. And in the Christian world, we call that sin. We remove that. Actually, he paid it all. That's why we owe it all to him. So take this time, word serve, as we prepare to remove any obstacle that you have, anything that would cause you turbulence, anything that would ruin your flight, and prepare ourselves for this thing that is coming. I don't want us, word serve, to miss out on the opportunity because I know that the Spirit will come. And I know there will be another mighty rush of wind right here in Fulcher. And Bill, that sounds egotistical. And it would be if it was Bill saying it. But it's not me saying it. It's actually the prophet Joel that is echoed by Peter in Acts 2 as the Holy Spirit came the first time. Listen to what he says. Oh, Lord. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That's all y'all or yous if you're from Philadelphia, right? <laughs> Sorry. I got to let go of the Philly thing, really. I, I, will, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And what will we tell them, Lord, sir? We will tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, but only if we're ready to soar. My question is, word, sir, 
will you prepare now so that when that spirit comes in full force, we are ready to soar? I don't want you to miss out on the ride. I don't want you to miss out on the journey. And I want to go with you. So use this season of watching and waiting to prepare to soar. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice that made it possible for us to access that. And God, it's hard for us to wait on you, but help us to understand that in the waiting, we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to arrive. And it's not a passive waiting, God. Help us to be active in our waiting. Help us to take away all the obstacles that stand between us. Help us to take away anything that would prevent that Holy Spirit from working through us. Help us to lay down our posture of tight-fistedness and open up to a posture of spreading out our arms just like you would call us to do. Help us to deny ourselves, to take up that cross daily, not as a punishment, but as an opportunity to soar. Because God, if we do this of our own accord, we will burn out. We will run out of the end of it. Even the youth that have all the energy will grow weary. But God, in you, you give strength to the weak. You give power to the powerless. You help us to soar. God, help us to soar for your glory, for your honor, and in the name of your son, Jesus.